Good morning and welcome to Morning Java, brought to you as always by GetGo Cafe and Market, where as always, Jared, they've got fresh food, fresh drinks, they've got curbside pickup, so many great options, fresh options, and great tasting options right at your local GetGo. I love GetGo, whether it's the morning, the evening, the afternoon. I used to, when I lived in Pittsburgh, I don't know if you know this, Carter, but I used to be a frequent flyer at GetGo. Now, since I'm back in central Pennsylvania... It's not as easy for me to get my hands on Gitco, but every chance I get, I'm there. Anytime I'm coming to Pittsburgh, that's my first stop. There you go. Gitco is the place to be. Now, let's talk about some uh, just how re- there's been a lot of talk about how COVID's impacted sports, but it's there's a different level, Jared, for people who play this play these games professionally and people who are doing this while they're a, while they're student athletes. Because you're student athletes, you're not getting paid well. Some people aren't getting paid, um, but uh, but you know you're, you're student athletes. You're not on a payroll. You're still kids, and, and this goes from high school to college. And Jeff Capel, Pitt's basketball coach, has been adamant about talking more about you know how needing to protect the players, the mental health struggles that are going through this, the of course the physical risks that are going through this. You you're you're right up in it with you know you're a coach. In, you know, in, in in high school ball, and you you work with 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 students. I want to get your perspective as just a lot of the difficulties you have, or what. Give an insight to our audience, just what it's to like trying to coach and manage children, and, and trying to help them grow while you're dealing with all this craziness. Right, and and, and you hit the nail on the head, especially with the mental health health aspect. These kids, whether they're in high school, they're in college, or even in the NBA, man, they haven't had a normal life for almost a year now. So they're not able to go out and socialize with their friends. They're not able to, to be in person in class or, or anything. So, you know, you look at it and these kids aren't being kids anymore. They're, they're not able to be kids. They're not able to go out and have fun and socialize. You look at um, North Carolina, they just beat Duke Saturday night. Their kids went out and party without a master team got shut down. Yep. So you want to celebrate an opportunity like that of being Duke. And, and trust me, as somebody that follows Carolina hoops, you know, it, it's it's always good when you beat uh, the Blue Devils. But then you go out and celebrate, and, you, and you're risking not just your your team, but also the, the rest of the ACC. I mean, we see it in in the high school game, the college game, and and all over. Now you you have one person on your team, and, and just the the snowball effect is just killer. Um, to scheduling, to to makeups, because now we're we're in mid February, so the season's starting to end here pretty soon. And, you know, we're getting ready for tournaments. Uh, teams are getting ready for, for everything. And you're just running out of time and you're, you're backed up against the wall, scheduling-wise, health-wise. And, and that's just the, just the short of it. it. It is right now. And, I mean, both, both Keith Danbrod of Duquesne and Jeff Capel of Pitt have said, you know, there's not a lot of joy in this season right now. And, and that's with Duquesne playing well and Pitt, you know, on its, on its best season since Jeff Capel's taken over. I mean, since really Jamie Dixon has been with the program and they just beat a ranked opponent. It was a huge win. This, the, you know, Pitt was like, we, we, we did it. We actually pulled this off. Um, and they've beaten Duke. They've swept Syracuse, but Jeff Capel's like, it, it's, you get that moment where you realize you did something really important, but then as soon as you leave the locker room, you realize you got to wear masks. You got to, you got to go around and take, you'll be very careful. You know, you're, you, re- you remember how many people have died because of the coronavirus. It's, it's, it's really, it really weighs on how 
young athletes are are dealing with this with this every day. And I guess you could say sports are can be a brief escape for them where they get in that moment. But you know, as they're doing this, like you said, they're also you know if you do something. Again, your your kids, like you said, these kids from North Carolina, you know they they did that after a huge moment in their lives. Maybe some of the, you know a, a, you know they're celebrating and they're trying to be like, yeah, that was great, and they're not making the best decision. But again, they're kids, and that's it. All these things are weighing into the dangers of what's going on right now. Right, and a lot of these kids, you don't know what their lives are like away from the court either. So you might have a sick aunt, a sick mom, a sick dad, or somebody that's that's at risk. And you're wearing masks, and and we talk about it all the time. Like it's very frustrating. We're our players were mas- or are masked up when they're on the court. And I, listen, I'm I'm fat and out of shape now. I can't imagine what it's like being in a mask running up and down the court. And and how to me, I think that's dangerous. But I understand the risks that that you have. And you know, it, it's one of those situations where you're you're sacrificing, and you've been sacrificing for almost a year now, and there's no end in sight. I mean, obviously, hopefully, the vaccine helps. But there's no end in sight for these kids to finally go back to be a kid because they go back to school and then it gets shut down. They're they're vir- learning virtually. And, and as somebody that teaches virtually, they're not learning nearly as much as what they should in the person. Plus, the, the social interaction is just killer. And that's just education-wise. And, and talking at high school level, elementary school level, whatever, it's tough for everybody involved. Everybody Everybody's lives are impacted in a, in a different way. And, and you have to balance that as well on top of trying to get these guys and keeping their grades up and keeping everybody uh, focused on, on that one goal for that, for that brief amount of time. And during football season, yeah, I would say that, that sports were an escape those Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Friday nights, they were all in this, all in escape. But now it's every day. You see these kids in masks, you see the schedules getting readjusted every hour on the hour, it seems. And, it, and it's a lot for, for coaches, for players, for parents, for grandparents, for everybody involved. So let's talk about the teams that we that, that we cover here, Jared. And Pitt and Penn State both have a good assortment of players to talk about going into this NFL draft. Um, I've been talking about this a lot on our on the H2P podcast, just with you know the way that Pitt was looking. You could say at first it was like, okay, maybe Pitt gets four guys in, but now it's looking like Pitt might actually get six guys in the draft. Um, I, I'm going to talk about those guys in a bit, but I also want you to give a sense who you know, who are the guys that Penn State legitimately has a shot at seeing go to teams in this NFL draft? First um, on everybody's board from Penn State is going to be Micah Parsons. Of course, um, I, I that was that was the best question you could have ever given me. That was a great little set me up on the tee. But Micah and he's played incredibly well at Penn State, but he's also not played in what will be a year by the time he gets he gets there. He's going to test well. He's been training for the last six months. So obviously he's, he's going to have that physical strength, that, that mental strength, hopefully that, that sets him apart because who knows how this off season is going to be um, when it, when he gets drafted and, and what it's going to be like, obviously there've been changes to the combine and, and all of that, but I think he's going to test incredibly well. He's a freak athlete as it, as it is. And he was a force when he was, when he was with Nit- the Nittany lions. I mean I, that one. That one's an obvious, obvious one, Mike Michael Parsons. I mean, going into this season before he opted out, a lot of mocks. I mean, and again, these are super duper early mocks, but a lot of people were saying he's a top five pick. He's he's easily going to be top five. And without playing, then now there's talk about maybe he goes, you know, top fifteen, top twenty. Uh, he, he's a guy that, first of all, 
yeah, I've seen some people have mock drafts where he falls to the Steelers. That would be ludicrous if something like that happened. So all you Steelers fans, get that get that thought out of your head right now. Um, but one guy who I've seen people talk about maybe going to the Steelers um, is Pratt is Pat Fryermouth, uh, Fryermouth, uh for mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 the Penn State tight end. Um, I want to get a sense from you. Do you feel like he's that complete package of a tight end that, you know, people are saying he's an early second round pick, you know, the Steelers have a late first. So, you know, maybe they, they need to, they, they need to invest in running back and offensive tackle and center. But is that a position where you feel like he's worth that, that high of a pick? I, I do. I think he, he does have that, that potential uh, value. I, to me, he mirrors very much like Miami's Mike Kosicki when, when Mike Kosicki was at Penn State. And 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 Fryermuth wasn't healthy this year. And you can tell m- most of the time when he was on the field, he just didn't look right. But when he's when he's playing at his best, he's a late first round, early second round type of type of player. And what he's got to do at the next level is just work on his uh, work on pass protection. And when he gets that, man, I think he has all the tools. And I mean, obviously, we've seen what, what Gasicki can do in, in Miami. So I think he's got that potential as well. Maybe not to the extent of what Gesicki is doing, but he's going to be right up there among among the best in the in the league at, at what he's able to do. Now, for Pitt, the obvious guys are guys that you could expect to go in the earlier rounds. Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, they're, they're two All-American edge rushers. Jalen Twyman, who, who like Michael Parsons, was looking like a very high pick and then didn't play this year. And, and now there's the debate as far as how far back will he drop because of that. Um, then you got Paris Ford at safety. But now Pitt, after uh, after the Senior Bowl, they had two really good showings from DeMar Hamlin and Jimmy Morrissey. I, I think that those were two guys that were – fringe like late rounds and you weren't sure how far down they'd, they'd fall but now i think that after those performances and more teams are are, are talking uh to those guys i think that's a situation where those guys could push themselves up here penn state has a couple of guys like that um and, and the steelers right now are looking for uh are, are looking are going to be looking for depth pieces i know that penn state i think it's uh michael minette uh as as a is he a guard or a center Michael Bennett was a center for the for the Nittany Lions for the last last few seasons. So, he was so a big part of their offensive line, right? So, him and Jimmy Morrissey actually are like around the same type of grades um, mm-hmm. when it comes to like I see a lot of the rankings. Like they're both like later projecting guys. Who else do you see on on the list of guys that could go for Penn State? That could be like, hey, these aren't the obvious players like like Fryermuth or um or or, or Micah, but. These are guys that you could look around for fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, and if they get them, they could bring you know X value to the team. I think Shaka Tony is a guy like that. You mentioned uh, performances in, in in all-star games. He had a, a, a solid week of leading up to the Senior Bowl, and even played pretty well in the in the Senior Bowl uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I think Tony is a guy off the edge that could really be uh, an integral guy. Through that, to depth, whether he ends up in Pittsburgh or, or anywhere, really. Um, and I think he's got that talent as well. And I think a dark horse right now is Jason Owe, who lined up on the other side of the defensive line uh, from Tony this year. He is just a freak athlete as well. He's physically built. Um, and I think that's a guy that could turn some heads as well when he when we get his test numbers. Yeah, well, that's the thing. With the combine, we don't, we don't get those numbers now. But – I mean, a lot of people are looking at him, and I, I've seen him go as early as mid to late second round, uh, speaking of Jason there. Um, so th- there's quite a bit of really good prospects here. If if I were to say how this order rolls out, I, I think Michael Parsons 
between the two schools is still the first guy off the board because teams still value the off ball linebacker and uh, the prospect of getting an athlete like him, I think is one that people won't want to pass up. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see where some of these other guys go because Rashad Weaver was not on anyone's draft maps uh, to, to, you know, early going, going into the season because he had been dealing with injuries. People were wondering would you know, what would this be like? And he was on some, I'll say that he's on some people's draft maps, but I think he skyrocketed with the way that he played this year. And now everyone's looking like, okay, we can use that guy. And Patrick Jones, another guy who's going to be up there. Um, and and I, I'm interested to see, just where some of these guys end up because sometimes, especially when you're the later round guys, it just, you have to luck into the organization that, that you're that you're given a chance in because sometimes you'll be put into a, a depth situation. That's really rough. And you end up not being able to compete, um, you know, as much as you wanted to. And you think about, you know, like Kurt Warner, when he went to the NFL, he, he was, he was drafted behind Brett Favre. And that was, and that was that and he had to, that's what led him going to the arena league and then eventually getting into uh, the NFL. But uh, with some of these later guys, it's going to be very interesting to see where they go. I do think that all these guys are getting drafted at some point. Um, but it's, I'm very interested to see where they go and how they start to f- kind of make their way there. Right, and I think, and it's okay for them to not to get drafted either. You know, these are unprecedented times. True. We talk about that all the time. And I look back to a guy like Kevin Givens, who who left Penn State about a year earlier than he should have, in in my opinion. He went to San Francisco and was behind their monster defensive line, and and was on the practice squad for most of the year or inactive for most of the year. And then essentially, it's a redshirt year in the NFL. And then this year, he gets a couple starts and plays pretty well for the 49ers, even though they didn't have a lot of success. So I mean. When, when you talk about depth, you're absolutely right. It, it depends on the organization that they go to and, and, and whether they can develop those guys. And, and it'll be interesting to see where they fall because we get no combine, but we do get pro days. And pro days are going to be different than, than what they normally are because typically you have the combine where you'll test and do all of your, your mental uh, right. conditioning and, and all that stuff. Then you get your pro day. Now it's just the pro day. So you've got to ball out and, and show up when it when it's when your numbers call so finally jared we got to talk about the question that everyone always talks about when we when there's a pit and a penn state guy on a show and it's why can't these two programs just play each other all the time and i guess we're just here to kind of this is more of an argue not an argument against against each other but just more of a it, it just makes way too much sense for these two schools to not get this right it, listen, there is no argument. It, it makes sense um, because you, you look at the logistics. All of these athletic departments now are going to be are, are experiencing shortfalls. They're like when Penn, when you look at Penn State's numbers, they had they didn't fill a single seat this season other than with parents. So you're not getting 107,000 people in your in your stadium for five, six, seven, eight games. So you know that's that's a lot of money, and and even at Pitt, you know you're not getting a lot of money, and that's not. That's not good to running the running the athletic department because even even with limited capacity, you would still be making some money and bringing that revenue in. But you look at cost; these teams are two and a half hours apart. You're obviously going to be riding a charter bus one way or the other, unless you want to hop it in a puddle jumper for thirty five minutes, and that's just egregious. But I would honestly like to fly Pittsburgh from from Central PA, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but it makes sense. I mean, it's it's for the Commonwealth. I mean, you're not going to get Pitt versus Temple for the Commonwealth. You're not going to get Pitt versus Villanova for the Commonwealth. It's Pitt, Penn State, and those are the teams that need to play every year. I said this when I was a sport management student at at, um, at Robert Morris, and my professor kind of laughed at me. He's like, "Well, 
that's a tough schedule. I said, yeah, well, <laughs> challenge yourself, get better, um, and, and learn from it. And and the, the games that they played outside from, I think, the the rain game at Heinz Field, where it was just a route, have been pretty competitive and pretty close. And that's what that's what we need for football in the Commonwealth. It's just it would it would hype up so many more conversations. Um, and, and the thing is, is that when those games are close, like most of them have been, and they go down to the wire, or or you know, or it's at least competitive into the middle of the fourth quarter, you know, that's that's a chance for for building rivalries. And then, and, you know, whether it's one way or the other. You, that's when how you you look at your around your state and you're like let's get more of these guys to stay in state whether it's to go to Penn State or to go to Pitt um and, and develop those rivalries and I think you just it's so much better to have rivals and these two schools they obviously hate each other they're 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 enemies going long long ways back it, this is a chance to to put that on the map and say look you know when when someone sees sees that battle and they don't have to even be Pennsylvania they could they could be from Florida and be like you know what those two teams are going at it I want to go with this squad because you know like like with, with Pitt you know a lot of they're, they're starting to attract more defensive talent because of how aggressive they've been and how many sacks they get and, and all the things that they do you know so you know they're play, so when you play Penn State you know some of the plays they make against them might interest more guys from different areas. The same thing for Penn State. You you play again. I mean, Penn State doesn't have you know that as much of a problem attracting guys, but still, when you have that clear rival that's your neighbor, that mm-hmm. that builds college football. Right, and and that's that's what college football is all about. I mean, we talked about Carolina and Duke earlier. The, Penn State on the on the gridiron, man. That's that's football. That's. Yep. That's what we grew up watching. That's what we want to watch. We don't want to. I don't want to see Penn State play Ball State. I want to be yeah. sitting in that press box next to you as Pitt and Penn State are going at it. You know, you don't want to see games like that. But I, I in in the way that economics works, you, I get it. I get it to an extent. But you have to do what's best for both your school and for for the area. And there's nothing better than a Pitt Penn State game every year, whether it's played twice at Beaver Stadium and once at Heinz Field. Or vice versa. You just find a way to make it work, and put everything aside and do what's best for the area. And it, and you're talking about recruiting. Listen, getting to getting to Penn State and State College is not easy. I benefit because I can just have a highway and go. There isn't a, there is not a big enough international airport anywhere close, other than Harrisburg and, and probably Pittsburgh. So you talk about that recruiting battle and Penn State in a in a weird year with recruiting. And you say what you want about the talent in, in the Pennsylvania uh, area, but they didn't recruit hard in, Pens- in Pennsylvania this year. So you you get that, and you don't want to lose those battles against each other, whether it's on the field or in the recruiting trail, because these guys are going after the same guys for the most part. So it's you just don't want to put that – you don't want to give there any leeway one way or the other. 